The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Monstrous Regiment, featuring a roundtable of Dominion women seeking to honor Jesus Christ in applying God's Word fearlessly and faithfully in all callings and seasons of life, both inside and outside the home, reversing the curse and smashing pagan strongholds. Are you waiting to get married and graduate to being a real Christian? So are we. I'm Kate Robinson. This is Rebecca Robinson. We're joined by host Susanna Roundtree, and we are the Monstrous Regiment. In episode five, we want to talk a little bit about the role and calling of single women in Christianity in the church. Um, that beginning line that we started with was from a Babylon Bee article that was recently published that was called um, Woman in Singles Ministry Gets Married Promoted to Real Christian. And the article was celebrating the marriage of a woman who had been in singles ministry for 12 years and had gotten married and was finally allowed to join the regular life of the body of Christ. And it resonated with me and I, for the same reason that it was written, and it resonated with lots of women and men. Um, who've grown up in church culture and experienced this very real, if sometimes unspoken or unseen dynamic, which relegates single people, and women in particular, um, to a perpetual youth group status, where they're unable to be accepted as real Christians or participate in real ministry. They're not considered adults until a wedding ceremony um, declares them such, no matter how old they are, no matter how much experience they have. Um, I'm 35. I have been an active member of several different types of churches, charismatic, more reformed, and I've always experienced this to some degree or other. Um, I've never, I haven't resented it or thought that the people who perpetuate it had any kind of ill motives or anything like that, but I think it's the natural result of the way that we're raised um, in this sort of church culture where we view marriage sometimes subconsciously and sometimes more overtly as the ultimate goal of all Christian endeavors by single people. And um, we view the more and I would outward... Add that it's, What's that? Sorry, I would add that that's, I would add that that's um, particularly uh, bad for, uh, when it comes to women. Uh, we have an idea that says that men can have callings outside of marriage, but you don't so much see that with women. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's like the, the kingdom work... Um, I know single men experience the same sort of dynamic where you're sort of a, a third-class citizen, but they do have more liberty to participate in sort of outward-facing kingdom work, whereas women are expected to make getting married um, the entire focus of their lives. Um, and I think because of this dynamic, single women who are mature Christians and contributing members of the body of Christ we're sort of viewed as perpetual teenagers by people who are younger than us, who have less life experience than us, um, and we're expected to be in submission to or under the discipleship of every married couple in the church or, um, you know, no matter what sort of background they come from or how long we've been Christians or anything like that. Um, I was talking to a lady a few weeks ago, a friend of mine who's in her 30s. She owns a business. She's very successful. And she was telling me that in her old church, her parents, the elders of the church, who were all younger than her, sat her parents down to sort of rebuke them or correct them about her church attendance and the way that she spent her time, which I think would be inappropriate and heavy-handed if they were talking about a teenager, but especially about an autonomous adult Christian woman who's out taking dominion. Um, and so that was a little bit of an extreme case, but I, I just have seen it all over the place. I've seen women get volunteered for church babysitting and excluded from, um, you know, missions and discussions just by default, by assumption, without even, it's just assumed that that's, that's the role that she plays. Um, I'm sure that you've seen some of this. The, the majority of articles and blogs that are aimed at single women are either aimed at helping them endure their singleness for as long as they have to, or helping them learn how to find a man, as if that was the, you know, the, the ultimate goal. Um. I actually think that, I actually think that um, we get a lot of those, those uh, viewpoints 
um, and those articles written because so many people, so many women are interested in getting married. And, like, obviously, I think I speak for all of us <laughs> when I say that we are interested in getting married. But um, but that, that fulfills a, a real need. And I think that women have gotten the idea, they've bought into the idea that they have to be married before they can become mature and fully functioning members of the body of Christ. Absolutely agree. Yeah, it's a it's a dynamic that um, has that we've all been raised up in, and we've all taught. I'm not putting it entirely on non-single women. Um, it's something that we all have sort of fallen victim to. Um, but there, you there's not much said to women, and I think I think this is something you're going to talk touch on later. But there's very little said about how women who are unmarried or betrothed are concerned with the things of the Lord. It's like being concerned with the things of the Lord is outside of our realm. We're supposed to be just concerned with how to become a wife and mother, which are, are wonderful things. They're high and noble callings. And I think, like you said, I think there's something that all of us do aspire to, but they're not the thing that um, every single woman is supposed to aim at exclusively. And our lives aren't to be, I mean, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we don't exist to orient ourselves around someone else's mission or vision or something like that um you know i know for a long time i felt like i was a failure or not or you know not a real woman because i'm in my 30s and i don't have children and um it, it felt like everything that i wanted to do with my life was just supposed to be sort of a time filler until i get married yeah, yeah. or so it was something that i have to put off until after i get married um I remember even talking to a friend of mine several years ago who was telling me that pursuing certain dreams was faithless because what if I get married? And I was telling her, I was thinking similar to her at the time, but I was saying something, well, I mean, I don't know how long that's going to be. So I have to do something in the meantime, you know? And so yes. for, for a long no, time, I'm hearing a long, what's that? I was just agreeing. Um, yeah. So, I just, I poured myself out in all kinds of endeavors and all kinds of efforts. And I saw where there were needs and I tried to fill them and, and that was all good. And I'm, I'm glad I did it. Um, but it was sort of regardless of whether it was something that I cared about or regardless of whether it was something that was my strong suit, I just wanted to be serving somewhere. And, um, you know, my parents, my parents are awesome and they've never, um, tried to sort of direct me to more, domestic pursuits or or encourage me away from the things they they always encourage the gifts that they saw in me writing photography things like that they never felt any impulse to rein me in or to um you know get me married off like i don't know if this is something you've experienced but my entire life as a single person there's this impulse that well-meaning married people have to sort of like marry me off to the nearest biped you know <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, that is something. Of, yeah. and, and it's sweet. It's I, a sweet impulse. I know. I mean, I have friends. I have a veritable army of friends all around the world who have um, spent time looking for husbands for me, and I'm I'm happy about that. Like, lots of marriages happen that way. So, you know, yes. if, if any of you are listening to me, <laughs> keep right on doing that. But at the same time, people 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 can act as if marriage is the main thing and not and, and that the suitability of the person you're looking for is isn't a consideration i mean this in fact can can, can i tell you can yeah. i tell a story yeah, <laughs> so a few years ago i wrote an article on serving god as a single woman it wasn't the greatest article i've ever written but it was an honest attempt to explain how i was trying to find purpose and productivity in the kingdom of god as a single woman and I got an email from someone who wanted to rebuke me for not being married already. And it's, it seemed as though he thought that I should be married to the first biped I could find. And he was, like, putting all the blame on me for not having done this. And I'm just thinking, what does he want me to do? Like, will I just Christian club Engel. the next passing stranger over the head and drag it home to my cave? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I, I've had exactly the same experience. And, it, and I agree with you. I think it's very kind and loving and sweet for most of my friends who are trying to find me a husband. And 
Um, you know, I don't like to talk about it much myself because I get shy about that sort of thing. So for all the people doing that, I'm, I support it. What I don't like is the sort of <laughs> attitude that is like, this, this woman is broken. Her singleness is, a, is a, um, an illness that needs to be cured, and we've got to find the nearest solution, and compatibility doesn't matter, and, you know, suitability, like you said, doesn't matter. There's a guy over there who's single, and so do it, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I've had even more extreme, um, you know, people tell me that I was morally obligated to marry um, anybody who was geographically close and available. Um, not that there was anything wrong with those people, but just saying there's no moral obligation to marry someone. Um, the, so- um, the, the, mor- the moral obligation we do have is to seek first the kingdom of God and his yep. righteousness. Exactly. Yep. And if, if getting married is going to hinder us in that, then, you know, I, I don't believe that ordinarily marriage will hinder us in that. Right. I agree. Ordinarily, a good Christian marriage will mean that both of us can serve the kingdom of God with greater ability. That's what we ought to be looking for in marriage. Not marriage as an Comments. end in itself, but marriage marriage as a way of serving the kingdom. But keep yep. on going. Uh, no, I absolutely yep. agree. That's, that's great input. Um, but so, yeah, just for a lot of years, you know, I, I felt like I was supposed to be serving a man and that, that was what I was supposed to do. And so in the absence of a husband, I would serve a pastor or, um, you know, a charismatic leader or something and just do everything that I could. And I wasn't concerned with what I personally, Kate, was supposed to be doing as a, as a dominion taker, you know, um, now, God, in his mercy, um, used a lot of that to sharpen my skills and, and direct my passions and help me understand the things that I did really care about doing. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like it was wasted time. Um, I suffered several uh, very difficult disillusionments at the hands of um, men and pastors and leaders that I trusted. And that was actually beneficial for me because God taught me to keep my mindset so that I was not serving a human so that everything I did was in service to him. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Um, but because it took me so long to get my mind right, you know, I'm now just now starting a business that I think is going to be so far just a wonderful platform for me to share the gospel, to combat bad ideas in the culture about motherhood, about womanhood, um, you know, you've, you've been helping me. I'm, I'm starting pursuing publication of a novel that I had just put aside for a long time because I felt like I was supposed to be focused on serving whatever person <laughs> I was serving. And so I feel like I'm just it's starting. my story, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm just starting to, to come into being a person, a human, holistic, autonomous human adult with a calling um, to serve Christ and, and I'm thankful for it, but um, but it took me a long time to get there. And and during that time, you know, I just experienced. I think I saw exposed some really gaping holes in the way that um, the church views single women. And I know Becky's been really quiet. She's going to tell us a little bit about her experience in a minute. But um, you know, as I described previously, we're sort of in this forever limbo. Um, we aren't granted the same liberty to participate in the life of the body in many ways. Our opinions are often discounted. And, and we're not entitled to the same care and protection that wives have just by virtue of being wives. It's good that they have it. Um, but, I, you know, I... Go ahead. Oh, it looked like you were going to say something. No, sorry. Um, no, it's funny. Your little, your little icon pops up. Um, I think in I think you know one of the things that people use nowadays to sort of keep women in subjection to men was actually meant to be a protection to them. You know the tradition in biblical times for women to stay in their father's house until they were married was so that they would be afforded that economic and physical protection and provision. Um, mm. But today, you know, that's just not how where we live. There's a lot of single women who are attending churches distant from their homes. They're living alone. And I think that the church has sort of failed these women. Um, 
I know I've had pastors and leaders make really inappropriate demands on my time and had them speak to me in a way that they would never speak to their wives or allow any man to speak to their wives. And so I think it's important as we all change our thinking, single women included, um, that we start thinking of women as single women as adults in the church and that men start thinking of them as sisters and that they they have the same sort of like protective impulse toward them that they have toward their natural sisters. Um, You know, I would exhort married people to to consider the way that you think about single people in your community, men and women. I, I think I can count on one hand the number of times in the last 15 years that I've been invited to a couple's house for fellowship, not to babysit, not to work on a project, but, and I get that. I'm not, again, I'm not resentful of it. I understand that it's more natural to spend time with other couples. But you've got brothers and sisters in the church that can contribute, that you can learn from, that can learn from you. And I think we're just sort of robbing each other with this unnatural um, separation that we have. Yep. Um, and finally... Um, I think some of the ways that we viewed women where we've considered being marriageable the primary duty and pursuit of single women has skewed what we think womanhood in general should look like. Um, Such that um, women who are too opinionated or passionate or active in various ways are viewed as less ideal women than those whose focus is primarily on the home. And, And again, I'm not minimizing those women who serve their households and are good mothers and wives. I, I think that's wonderful but there's a sort of demeanor where it's like they're expected to be quiet and let their husbands speak and that dynamic works and then when the single woman comes along who also wants to speak it's like grating and abrasive to people um you know there's something (laughs) i there's something to be said for the tv trope that um that some single women remain single because men are intimidated by them. And and I don't mean that to sound the sort of arrogant way that it sounds, but I do think that there are a lot of intelligent, attractive, gifted, passionate, godly women in the church who are found um, undesirable or unsuitable helpmeets because of the way that we think about what womanhood and wifehood and motherhood are supposed to look like. So, um, so I just think that we need to shift our thinking so that the dominion mandate is something that all humans participate in and can contribute to and we learn from each other and and talk to each other and listen to each other and I think when that happens um, you know people will find themselves drawn to other members of the opposite sex who have um, similar passions and similar callings and instead of one person's life being revolving around the other person, it'll be a team of dominion takers and um, it'll it'll lead to more robust and and more balanced marriages and and that. Agreed. And and not not just that, um, but also if, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God while you're on your own and you never get married, then your life still has a purpose. It still has meaning. Exactly. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yep. So sorry, I've been I've been talking way too long. I'm gonna let no, you guys. You're good. You're good. Um, so I think I'm gonna jump off of some of what you said. Um, one of the last things that you said was about uh, being uh, being outspoken and being opinionated and how that's not a desirable thing in a woman, uh, in a single woman. Um, and I have noticed some, some more freedom in women who have husbands. And I think that it's a little bit of assumptions that a woman who has a husband, when she's speaking out or speaking at all, it's something that is approved by her husband. It's like, it's, she's speaking with his permission, which we don't have. And so, and so people, um, they don't want to hear it. It's like you said, it's, it's grating. Even though a lot of times we're just talking, you know, just having conversations. Um, yeah. I had, I had, sorry. No, it's just agreeing. Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, it's cause we can't see you. So we, I know. We, um, <laughs> I'll have to try to fix that. I, 
friend of mine who is a, he's a really, really nice guy. I love him and his family very much. Um, they're awesome people. Um, and he's reached out to me a couple of times in the last couple of years to tell me, you know, I think that he, he really wants me to get married and find a husband and, um, he's mostly friends with me online. And so he's reached out a couple times and said, you know, if you could tone down some of the stuff that you talk about and um, throw in some other kinds of things from time to time, um, <laughs> then you, you might be a more appealing uh, potential spouse. And he, I didn't, I wasn't offended by it because he's so kind. And I think that he really, really just meant it in a compassionate way because he thinks that I am marriageable. And he thinks, you know, if a guy could get past all of that, then he would, he would, uh, he could really find a good wife. So he said, I think he even said like, you'd, you'd catch more flies with honey than with vinegar or whatever the saying is. Um, and it was kind of, I mean, it's a little bit hurtful because, that's mean. <laughs> Incidentally, it's not it's true. Not you true. can catch a lot of flies with apple cider With vinegar. anything. Yeah. I don't want to catch a lot. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was hard because, um, first of all, I think that the, the things that I talk about in justice and establishing justice and the kingdom of God and um, uh, dominion work and all that stuff, I think that that is the honey. I think that that is the main thing. I think that's... Exactly. Why would you want... To- why would you want to spend the rest of your life with someone who's off put by that? Right, right. Yeah. Well, I, I just feel like it would be like bamboozling him if I was talking about a lot of other things and then he married me and I was like, and first of all, and then jumped into it. <laughs> He'd be like, whoa, that's a lot of salt in this one. So, but yeah, I, I think that those things are the honey and are the sweetest and the, the most important things. And, and if I were to be in a partnership with somebody, um, forever, then I would definitely want them to be somebody that that thought that those were the best and most important things. Not to say that I I'm not wrong about some things or that I that won't shift in some ways, but um, you know what I mean. So, but it was hard because I definitely was that that Christian young woman who um, I really really idolized marriage because for me I didn't have any other. Uh, dream or passion that was and is that was my dream that's what I want that's what I wanted my whole life was you know I'm one of eight kids um I love our family dynamic I loved I loved watching my mom be a mom and a wife um she was such a rock star at it it was so much work and to me it it honored God so much and it was so beautiful and it was uh an adventure and to me that is the coolest best adventure that I would ever um be blessed to do. And so it was something that from the time that I was really, really young, that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, you can't really work towards that in the same way that you would uh, writing a novel or um, going to school and things like that. So I really, I, I started to really idolize the uh, idolize marriage itself. And of course, like Kate said, we, you know, that's the culture that we grew up in was if you're a single young woman, um, you need to be gearing yourself towards that and getting ready for that. And it was an expectation of mine, like, okay, you know, I'm going to, I can kind of hang out in this limbo for a while and I'll just get better and better at things that will be important when I'm married and when I'm a mom. Hmm. And so for a long time, I just, I had very, um, I just worked customer service jobs. I worked at Starbucks for like a hundred years and it was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't have to do anything else because I'm just going to wait until I get married. And that's when my life will start and I'll get to start being a woman and I'll get to start doing the thing that I think is the, is the best adventure. And oh, man. Yes. Then, yes. I relate to that so much. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, <laughs> and I, it was just an, it was an expectation of mine. Like it's going to happen. So I'll just hang out. And so, you know, I wanted to go to cosmetology school when I was 17 and I didn't go because I was like, well, you know. I won't be that good at it. And, and I'm just going to get married. That's what I'll do is I'll get married. And now it's been 10 years since that. <laughs> and I didn't get married. And so, and so first of all, like Kate said, you feel like a failure, you know, and, and then you get told a lot that it is the way that you are. <laughs> it makes you, uh, you're not married because of the way that you are. Um, and it just, you, you feel like you failed to be a woman. You failed to be a Christian woman. Um, and you failed doing the one thing that uh, God tells women to do. And so it is, it, it was really hard because I had replaced 
um, what the Bible talks about as far as single women, which is undivided devotion to God. I had replaced that with undivided devotion to this goal. And so, first of all, it made me very, um, I was not serving God the right way because that wasn't my focus. My focus was being a marketable, desirable, potential wife, which caused me to um, stumble in a lot of ways and sin in a lot of ways because I wasn't focused on Christ. I was focused on, you know, the end of of meeting that goal. Um, And it also made me um, really start to dehumanize and objectify the men around me too, because I um, viewed them as potentials and it was, everything was centered around getting to that goal. And so if I knew single men and like Kate said, you know, couples are trying to set you up and you're in an environment, especially when you're younger of, you know, matchmaking and things like that. And so single, single Christian men were like potentials that all of them, if you met a guy, and, and that stands in the way of friendship. Yeah, you can't exactly. be friends with someone if you're trying to collect their head. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It it makes you stop. You don't see them as really an individual person who is themselves and wholly um, unique and important. You see them as a potential, and so you're sizing them up all the time, and they're doing it to you. It's like shoe shop. It is. It's like you're shopping for somebody, and you miss them completely. You, you completely miss who they are and you don't get to really have that friendship and that fellowship and that understanding and camaraderie and all of those beautiful things because you're just shopping. And so you, you reduce them to this one aspect of them um, and they do that to you. And so I think that it just damages so much and it, and it, it is very deleterious to kingdom work and to partnership and to being focused um, on God together so i think that that really it damaged a lot of my relationships it damaged um pretty much everything (laughs) i wasted a lot of time i wasted a lot of my uh a lot of my time just like focused on this one thing and i didn't get to find out what kind of person i was or what god wanted from me or what i was good at um which are all things that i could have found out 15 years ago if i had just been focused on loving God and serving God and letting the, letting those things be something that was under his Lordship and not, you know, the main focus. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Seeking first the kingdom. Exactly. So, um, I'm trying to remember what my next, uh, Oh yeah. One thing I wanted to touch on that Kate had a little bit was that, um, along with all of that stuff, you definitely feel like less of a Christian and less of, on uh, um, um, less of an autonomous individual. And so mm-hmm. in environments where I was in fellowships and in churches, women who were my age, who were, who were, you know, the same age as me or younger um, were considered to have like authority over me. If I, if they were married, all they had to do right. was be married to a guy my age. And there was like a, an understanding that they had authority over me and that I needed to submit to their wisdom and their advice because that they considered that to be biblical. You know, if this woman was married, she was fulfilling the right role. And I was a younger woman, even, even if we were in the same place and in the same, um, as in the same maturity and, and growth and all that stuff, just the fact that she was married made it so that, um, it was considered rebellious if I didn't. I've had that happen with women ten years younger than me. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's very strange. It's very strange, and it was just well, it makes sense. It, it makes sense if you realize that um, they're seeing marriage as being the thing that all women should do, and so someone who's married has more um, authority than you in that area simply because she's married. She's got more experience in the specific area of life that they think that every every woman should. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's logical within that perspective. Exactly. Right. Yes. It is, It is. but then the, the way that it plays out is so uh, damaging sometimes. And it was interesting, though, because there were, you know, there'd be a woman who had been married six months or something. Um, but just the, even without the experience, just the fact of her being married made her a more, um, a more mature, reasonable Christian. 
which I don't think any of us want to, you know, um, disparage anybody. For, you know, no, <laughs> if you're a married not. woman that we've known in the last twenty years. This is we love you, <laughs> but but I do think this, this sort of dynamic that we're describing is the thing that need, I mean, and it's it's not just single women. Um, you know, one of the other hosts of this podcast um, was married for fifteen years before her husband abandoned her, and she was immediately relegated down to younger woman status yeah she in, went back in sort of church yeah. circles they were like well you're not married anymore therefore and your marriage didn't wasn't what we feel is successful or isn't happy or something and so she immediately got put back into that perpetual youth group category despite her right. experience as a wife and a mother so it's a it's a very weird dynamic not very healthy Yeah, so that that it just makes it so hard to be in fellowship when that's the way that it's viewed because you don't you just don't fit in anybody's category. Right. The only thing that you fit in is a potential spouse and um, a young person, no matter what age you are, and you're not really looked at as autonomous and individual. Um, or if you are, it's those are bad things. If you're a person who who talks and thinks about things, but you don't have a husband to be the covering. Um, then those are considered rebellious, uh, automatically hysterical and emotional. There's no way t- to participate because you don't exist. You don't have a position. You don't. And like Kate said, so I think single men go through the same thing, but it's a little yeah, bit different. Be- it's just a little mm-hmm. bit. It's just different because if you're a single woman, you are expected to fit into a very narrow um, slot. And if you do or say anything outside of that expectation, then um it's it's not acceptable <laughs> well i think i think the difference is that our goal is supposed to be to revolve around someone's right. vision and the goal of men is to have a vision right in, in this worldview and paradigm right you know? so if you're one of us and you're you know anywhere between our ages which is 27 and 35 like you what are we supposed to do you know right. it's like you said Susanna where someone's like we get that all the time where it's like well why aren't you married yet they just either assume that we're already married or you know why didn't you marry the first guy who wanted to marry you and it's just so yeah. it's so strange what well that's a good um, pricey of the problem we're facing um, is it time for me to start talking about some of the ways that I have um experience some of the same things but for me I feel like I've I feel like I've solved a lot of these a lot of these questions maybe a little bit earlier so that I've I've had the time to put into practice the solutions that I've found yeah tell us great so this is this is my story I remember when I was young in our social circle there was a young woman in her late 20s and she wasn't married and so I, I would often hear overhear the older married women talking about her as if this was some immense tragedy. So, um, so through my through my teens, my early twenties, I always knew that if I didn't get married by you know twenty five or thereabouts, then I was going to be that tragedy, and the older ladies were going to talk about me in whispers. And you can imagine um, how that would affect a young girl who you know, like Rebecca was talking about, I also very much just wanted to get married and have children. And well, you know, here I am, I'm 30, I'm single. And surprisingly, I don't feel like a tragedy at all. Not even a little bit. (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) Which is good. (laughs) So I was, I was, I was in my teens when I began to realize that there was a bit, bit of a problem about what I was supposed to do next. And at that age, obviously, you expect that you're going to get married by the time that you're 20. But my mom, my mom, on the other hand, she realized when I was about 15 that I I already had the looks and the interests of a 50-year-old Dorothy Sayers. <laughs> and she began to wonder whether it was going to be as easy as she had always hoped. So... <laughs> So being the good mother that she was, she started encouraging me to get a degree so that I could get a good job, so that I can support myself if I wound up being single for a long time or indeed for all time. Well, by that time, by the time I was about 17, I already knew that I really wanted to be a novelist. But being a novelist means starving in a garret for years. 
So instead I chose to study law and a big part of the reason for that was that um, I figured out most of my favourite novelists had started out as failed lawyers. So I went, I, I decided that I was going to study law and I really, I really didn't like university. I didn't like being part of an institution. I didn't like having to follow someone else's plan for my life rather than you know, my own, which is what I was used to as a homeschool student. Um, but on the other hand, I, although I didn't enjoy the study so much, I did really enjoy working casually as a legal clerk in a local firm. I didn't have much responsibility and I had plenty of opportunity to use my gifts as a writer. But at the same time, that was when I started to really think about my future life. I, I was imagining graduating um, my law degree and starting work as a solicitor, which would be a, a very high stress position. And little by little, I began to realize that I was dreading the thought of doing this for the rest of my life. I bet you made a brilliant one, though. Yeah. <laughs> Backup plan. Thanks. <laughs> well, I've got this law degree, and maybe I'll end up using it one day. I believe I believe I have it for a reason. But but I began to ask myself, what if I never marry? I could be stuck doing this till the end of end of time. Right. See, I would like so, studying law for me was a bit like Rebecca choosing not to pursue cosmetic school. Both of us were just doing what we were doing, not because we had a vision for what we were doing, but because we would, it, we just thought it was a good way to pass the time before marriage. Exactly. Yep. So in my final year of law, I, I discovered that if I was going to pursue it further, uh, I'd have to move away from home. Um, got to do with the global financial crisis and opportunities in my local town. Um, so for a while, I, I moved away to the city to find a job, but... Um, I was there for a couple of months. The Lord kept shutting doors. And meanwhile, I was hearing from friends about this thing called stay-at-home daughterhood, which was um, really popular in the U.S. homeschooling circles. And um, so being Australian, I, I, I missed out on a lot of the peer pressure and the repressive cultural aspects of U.S. homeschooling. Congratulations. It's, it's too bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad about that. But even when those ideas did crop up here, most most of the people you would talk to them about would be vocally critical of them. And I'm really, really appreciative of that. It was a huge blessing for me because it meant that when I did make the decision that I was going to move back home and give up my career in the law, it was something that I had thought about and I had prayed through for a really long time on my own. And when I did it, it was a difficult choice that I took because I really did feel that I would be better able to see it serve the kingdom of God that way. Right. Instead of because there was some sort of cultural pressure against right. you being an adult in the world. Exactly. And so I made that decision about seven and a half years ago. I shifted back home and I started really chasing every opportunity I could see to serve the kingdom of God. Um, one thing I did was I made myself available to my friends to go and stay with them and help run their houses and feed their kids if they needed some assistance for a while. Um, I do less of that these days, various reasons. But for one 12-month period, I spent nearly half my time away from home. I went on trips that took me to Tasmania, New Zealand, and the United States, and it was amazing. That sounds amazing. so awesome. <laughs> it really was. I uh, helped some friends fight a legal battle in one jurisdiction with my legal training. Uh, I helped run a major conference. I got an article on homeschooling published in um, one of Australia's most respected journals, and I made a lot of new friends. And, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I felt more purposeful than I had for years. And um, and I knew that money couldn't buy the life that I had, so I was, I was really fulfilled by that. Good. But about two years into this experiment, um, there were a number of different things that just all happened at once, and the result was that I felt convinced that I needed to focus on my writing. By that time, I had figured out that fiction was it was obviously the one thing that I could do better than anything else, and I could see how it gave me a great opportunity to serve the kingdom of God, so I started to treat it like a serious job in about 2013. Um, a couple of years later, in 2015, I, I self-published my first novel, Pendragon's Air. Which is beautiful. And For those of you that haven't read it, you need to go buy it and read it right now. Sorry, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then, 
Yeah, so I've I've been working as a self-published author for a number of years now. Uh, later this year, Lord willing, I'll publish the first book in a nine-book series covering the history of medieval crusader states. Um, I've spent a lot of time researching this and plotting it, um, and I'm really excited to see how that turns out. So am I. <laughs> My writing still doesn't make me a lot of money, but I have plans to scale it up into a proper income. So here I am, I'm working at my dream job. Technically speaking, I'm still a stay-at-home daughter. Um, in fact, I'm one of the few girls I know who stuck, it, stuck with it for more than a few years. I remember speaking to one girl who tried it for a short time, and she told me, it's amazing how at home you can be so busy and yet so bored at the same time. And I've, I've been thinking about that comment for about seven years now. And I think that there are two main reasons why that wasn't true for me, why, I wasn't, why I've never been bored while being busy. The, the first reason that being a daughter at home has worked for me is that I'm not just doing this to pass the time while I get married, right. <laughs> while I wait to get married. You know, it's it was really weird how many people I'd tell about what I was doing and their automatic response was always, but what if you don't get married? <sighs> and I never, I never quite knew how to answer that because I, I had asked myself that question and that was why I was where I was doing what I was doing. Yeah, um, I, I wonder, I mean... Um, sorry, I know you're going somewhere with that, but I wonder if your friend, was she doing the same thing by choice or was she um, sort of doing it at the behest of her parents or because it was expected of her? I don't know. Uh, but I do know that what she wanted to do with her life, like she, she eventually went on and she studied something and she, she's working at it now. What she wanted to do with her life wasn't to stay at home. Whereas for me, what my vision for my life was something that um, that I I could do from home and that I could do very well from home. Yeah. So so there are the people who who would say, but what if you don't get married? And I'm thinking that's why I'm right here doing what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and on the other hand, um, there were. Some people did get it. I was visiting a church once. I explained what I was doing to one old lady, and she just, her whole face lit up. It was beautiful. And she beamed at me, and she said, you have a ministry. Exactly. <laughs> she understood right. perfectly. I'm, I'm on a personal mission to build the kingdom of God. Right. And for me, the law degree was never plan A. The law degree was passing time. And so I'm, I'm grateful to the friends who talked to me about being a stay-at-home daughter because it was that was the paradigm shift I needed to stop worrying about money and things like that and just focus on pursuing the ministry God was calling me to. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yep. For for me, this is this is the major secret for why I've been so happy and so fulfilled doing what I'm doing, living at home with my family and working as a novelist. This is why I've never felt bored. I came home to pursue my calling. And my parents um, have been amazing because they've helped me to identify and stick to that calling. Um, especially at the beginning, I, I had the idea that I needed to be um, just serving whatever needs I could find. And, and while that was a good thing, it was my parents who really pushed me to, to, to focus on the specific things that I could do better than anyone else, the specific things that I had such a, such a passion for. And... After, after seven years of, um, of following my calling, I've really come to believe that this is the missing piece of the puzzle in how churches and families consider single women. Yeah. Rush Dooney always defined man as dominion man. The dominion mandate of Genesis 1 verse 26 was given both to both men and women jointly and severally. It says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So for Rush Dooney, dominion is a huge part of what makes us human. And, and he defines dominion. Our, um, dominion is defined as our purpose to fill and subdue the earth to the glory of God. Amen. In, his book, 
In his book Revolt Against Maturity, he writes, God's definition of man in Jesus Christ means that man is recreated in God's image by the atoning work of Jesus Christ and is given a specific task in history. He also says, work is the connecting link in the activities of man in the states of innocence, the fall, grace, and glory. So no matter what situation we're in, whether we're talking about humanity in the Garden of Eden or right now in the current age or um, in glory in the new heavens and the new earth, we're always going to be working. We're always going to have a purpose. The goal of man's work is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God on earth, putting God's rule and word into effective government through man in every realm of life. So if work is our human purpose in the world, then that has all sorts of ramifications for our lives. In, uh, in Victims' Rights by Gary North, it's pointed out that slavery is evil uh, because it prevents an image bearer of God from fulfilling his unique purpose. Yeah. Yep. So this is, that isn't to say that as individuals we can't work together but it does mean that we need to have freedom of association. So my unique calling is to write good fiction. Another person's unique calling may be to design covers and others might be typesetting. So we can all work together on the same project, but all of us would be miserable and unfulfilled if we had to spend our days building Pharaoh's mud brick palaces, even if Pharaoh is our husband or father. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly. And obviously one of the ramifications of that is that when we come to look at marriage, we need to come to it from the perspective of, does this person's calling complement my own? Dorothy, Dorothy Sayers talks about this in her novel Gordy Knight, and I'm sure I've quoted this before, but I'm going to quote it again because it's just so good. One of her characters it says, a plowshare is a nobler object than a razor, but if your natural talent is for barbering, wouldn't it be better to be a barber and a good barber and use the profits, if you like, to speed the plough? However grand the job may be, is it your job? Perfect. So a basic element of being human is being able to pursue our own unique calling and having meaningful work to do that will bring the kingdom of God to greater fruition on earth. But we have a problem. Um, Bojidar Marinov, in his... Um, terrific article, Individual Purpose in the Kingdom of God, says, Even among conscientious professing covenantal theonomic homeschooling Christians, I see the same pattern. Children are taught ethical boundaries as the highest expression of their faith. They are not taught purpose, direction, meaning of life, goals for the future as applied to their individual life. Even where purpose is taught and preached, it is mainly collective as applied to the family and the church. But individual purpose of man under God is lacking. So, and, and even when you get people who have understood this, people who get the memo, there's still a barrier in our understanding because we tend to apply it specifically to men and not to women. Right. And I've seen people online arguing that... Um, that men get the um, men get the calling and women only get to help with the calling. There's a lot of emphasis that's being put on the Genesis two verse eighteen verse, you know the um the the woman being created to be a suitable helpmeet to the first man, and so the conclusion has been that men are the ones who get the special vision from God for their life, while women they get to rally around and dedicate their lives to serving someone else's vision. Women don't get special callings, or if they do, it's got to be wife or mother. Right, right. And this is, I believe that this is the underlying um, assumption that puts so much pressure on women to marry because she doesn't start serving the kingdom of God in a special calling until she does marry. And since women don't have individual callings, then it doesn't matter who she marries there's the assumption that any good woman ought to be able to just plug right into the special mission of any good man, and if she finds it difficult, then that's, you know, she must be in rebellion. In other cases, the pressure might be put on women to be at home and working for their dads since serving his vision is the main way that they can be serving the kingdom of God. It's, it's an assumption that um, they can't have a, a vision of their own. And 
you know, this is this is obviously not something that every stay-at-home daughter has been subject to. I'm probably a number one example, but it is something that has tended to define the movement. So the result is that helpmate is often interpreted as unskilled labourer, someone whose labour can be exploited without regard to their own special talents. Um, however, I would say that being a helper doesn't just mean working in your husband's business or home and only doing that. There are so many ways to be helpful to someone that don't, don't necessarily involve cleaning floors or issuing invoices. I mean, my favourite example is Deborah. Of course, she was a help to her husband, but she was a help to her husband by bringing the word of God to the society he lived in. I would add to that, too, um, is a little bit to the side, but we've been talking a little bit, you know, in various circles about the concept of loyal opposition. Mm. And, um, I do think that, you know, that role of, of opposing someone when they're wrong and loving them enough to take sharpen. a stand and sharpen them. You cannot have iron sharpening iron um, if one of you is entirely devoted to revolving around the other. You can't be loyal opposition, which is what a good helpmate should be, to someone who is, you know, your your god and idol and whose vision you're there to serve, yep. if that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. And um, for those of our listeners who don't know where the term loyal opposition came from, uh, that's the title of a fantastic article by Andrea Schwartz, which you can find on the Calcedon website. If you go to calcedon.org and um, search for her article on loyal opposition, it is well worth the read. Another of the assumptions that I think we bring to Genesis 2 verse 18 about the help me is the idea that because women were originally created to help men in their dominion task, they don't or can't have individual callings of their own. And the unspoken premise is that God gives individual men a mission, vision for their life, but he doesn't speak in that way to women. And, and this results in an idea that women need men to mediate individual calling to them. And that is, that is a denial of the priesthood of all believers to to say that certain people can hear from God more clearly than others. On the contrary, through, throughout scripture, we see God speaking to individual women just as clearly as he does to individual men. And the dominion mandate, as I said, was it was given to men and women jointly as well as severally. Men and women can serve God together in marriage. Men can serve God individually as singles. We need to, we need to recognize that the same thing goes for women. I mean, we even have a, we even have a Bible verse uh, 1 Corinthians 7.34, there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So, you know, obviously this verse isn't saying that godly married women don't care for the things of the Lord. What it does say is that unmarried women have the special blessing of getting to focus on God's special calling in their life without being distracted. Um, and and they, there's a, a parallel verse about single men versus married men to, that's exactly the same yep. right next to it. So it's, it's clearly not a spend your single years trying to get married sort of thing. Right. Exactly. And for, for married people, like, obviously the Lord has called them to marry and taking care of a spouse and children is part of their calling now. And that's, that's, that's a wonderful and beautiful thing as well. But, um, but I'm not currently in that position. And for the last 15 years, I haven't had the opportunity to be in that position. And so before I marry, I would have to be convinced that the Lord was calling me to alter my calling to include a husband and children. I would have to be convinced that my own unique calling was a good complement to his calling and that we could respect and encourage each other in those callings. Yeah, agreed. So this is how I come to be 30 single and not feel like it's tragedy. This is, this is why I'm completely contented with where I am in life. I know that I'm doing the Lord's work. I know that he has a purpose for me and that one day because of my work, um, combined with all the other work that's being done, one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And that is a completely satisfying purpose for me. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I can be completely satisfied outside marriage because 
I know what I'm working towards, I know that it's important, and I know that um, I know that I can do it better than I can do anything else. So all, all humans, men and women, married and unmarried, will be bored and frustrated if they don't have a vision for their purpose in the kingdom of God. It's this exact same lack of purpose. When you go back and you read um, the, the, first, the, the source documents from the first two waves of feminine, feminism, this is why women were revolting against their place in life. It was because they didn't have meaningful purpose. Yep. It's what makes women feel so bored even when they're so busy. It's why it makes single women pursue marriage so hard because, you know, they, they just it's not just that they want to have companionship of love. It's also that they want to find purpose and meaning in life. Yeah. It, we've all felt that way. Like that is when our life gets to actually start. Right. Mm. So if we're going to solve this problem, we need to redefine women first and foremost as dominion women people who have unique Holy Spirit-inspired callings in the kingdom of God. So that's something that I'm very passionate about. For me, for me, practically speaking, it means that I have been able to identify what I'm good at and what I'm passionate about, and I have found a way to completely and wholeheartedly pursue that. And I would say that, you know, if, if you're a single woman wondering what to do with your life, you just need to think about it and pray about it and find out what it is the Lord is calling you to do right now. Um, and that is that will qualify you for marriage later if that's what the Lord has in store for you. Yep. Yes. It, it reminds me of, um, you, you saw Chariots of Fire, right? Uh, no. No? That old... old movie about the Scottish Olympic runner or whatever who wouldn't run on this. Um, I know of it, but yeah, I haven't. There's, seen a, there's a line in it, um, you know, where the main character is arguing with his sister about whether he's supposed to be, um, you know, doing what he's doing. And, and he says something like, yes, God made me to minister to orphans and to, I can't remember the exact line, but he says, but he, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And there's mm. something that, that God puts in us and we can feel ourselves come alive and we can feel his pleasure when we're doing it. And I feel like so many of us miss out. I, I mean, for years I lived a totally transient lifestyle where I was renting rooms from people and I, ne I never bothered unpacking or decorating because it was always just a way station on the way to marriage. And, uh, and I'm yeah. out on having my life during that time, you know, Getting to getting to be learn who I was in Christ and anyway I didn't mean to interrupt you but no I've, that's great so what, should we talk about some ways that some practical ways that um, well I, I guess I've explained like I'm a self-publishing novelist that's my practical way of finding purpose in the kingdom of God how how are you girls doing that well like I said I mean it, it took me a long time to. Um, sort of make a distinction in my mind between just doing any service that, that needed to be done for whatever person was leading and doing service that was um, directed and focused. And and so, um, you know, I like I said, I just started a business. And for the first time in my entire life, I actually feel like I could be a successful business owner. And already in this business, there's been all kinds of opportunities and, and there will continue to be to um, use it to serve the gospel in the kingdom. And, um, and that's, it's, it seems like a small thing. People start businesses all the time, but mm -hmm. it's the first time that it's ever occurred to me that it's something I could do and serve God with independent of somebody's ministry or somebody's specific vision that I was following you know, I still care about all of the causes and things that I've been involved in. I still, you know, care deeply about spreading the gospel, but it's the most individual thing that I've done. And uh, and I, like I said, I took my novel off the shelf after several years and started working on it and trying to send it off to an editor. And so, um, so that's what I'm doing. And and this this podcast trying to. Um, you know, 
talk through dominion ideas with other women and talk through scripture and, and uh, have a voice in the world, I guess. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say I'm, I feel like I'm kind of on, I'm on the edge of so much of all of these, uh, all this new understanding and um, it's sort of a transitional time for me because I really did, even with, I just graduated cosmetology school and even with that, the reason, one of the reasons I chose that, I, I do love, I love doing it. I'm interested in it. But um, one of the reasons I chose that job was because I knew that if I got married, it was something that I could, that was flexible and fluid and, and it supported that other goal. Um, and it was something I could take anywhere that we moved. If I got married, I could follow him wherever he went. Which is great. Being a writer is great for that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's bad at all to be thinking about that and think, how can I keep doing this if I get married and sort of work them together? Um, but even in that, even pursuing that to me was, was a way of pursuing marriage, which again is not bad, but it was, um, graduating was sort of hard for me because I realized, okay, I've, I've, I'm doing this and I still don't feel, um, I don't feel that passion or calling in that way with this. Um, I care about it. I, I like doing it, but um, I'm sort of in a weird open spot right now where I, what I love doing, what I'm passionate about doing is writing poetry. And I don't really know how that, I don't know yet how that works for, uh, for the kingdom. I think that it <laughs> does and will, but I, that is what I care about doing. I That's, mean, I know, I know people whose lives and marriages are changed because of poetry that Becky's written. So I would argue that it does serve the kingdom pretty directly, but good. Well, yes, that's, that's what I, that is the thing like she was talking about. That's the thing that, um, that I can feel the pleasure of God in doing and that I love doing. And that is very holy myself. And it it doesn't exist um, for somebody else's vision or the potential of somebody else's vision, but it exists because of, um, because of Christ and because of my love for him and for so much of it revolves around um, my heart being broken for people that I love and the situations that I love and widows and orphans. And so it sounds kind of dumb, but that's what I care about doing. And that's what I would, that and um, finding ways to um, change people's minds and hearts about all of these things. So yeah, the podcast and, but I think it's cool. I think it's, it's hard and embarrassing and weird to be doing all of this transitionally out publicly in the open, but it started a lot of really good conversations with other women that are younger than me and are coming into their own bodies and hearts and minds and realizing that they have so much that they um, can offer God so much that he has given them and that they can return to him that isn't centered around that one, that one thing, but that it actually, um, like you, it, it reminds me of what you were saying a little bit ago about how you want to, if you do get married, you want to be partnered with somebody who um, is doing the things that you're doing and is passionate about them too. And it made me think of one of my, um, one of my best friends, my closest friends who just got married a month ago. And that was, that was their story was that they, you know, they grew up together and they were already best friends, but um, their passions and their goals and the way that God is using them to establish justice is the same. So they got married and, mm-hmm. and immediately hit the ground running um, as far as uh, rescuing women and, and children from um, sex trafficking and stuff like that. Like they immediately started working together. And that was so beautiful to me because it wasn't like now their lives were starting. It was like, well, they were friends and partners and now they're married friends and partners. And it, changed and is beautiful but it wasn't like it, it was part of the story versus being the climax of the story so um so yeah i don't I think of a better way to start a married life yeah it, yeah and they're tired already they're you know <laughs> oh, no. they're, they're working so hard and that's that to me was one of the coolest most beautiful things that i've gotten to experience because it, it was really like it was like they were just friends. They were just comrades. They were equals. And um, I love that. Um, to answer your question, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but well, I'm, I'm open to it. Well, I would, I, I will, uh, I'll just leave you there with this quote from Gary North. He says, A calling is the most important thing you can do in this life 
which you would be mo in which you would be most difficult to replace. So what is the irreplaceable thing that you can do? And, you know, I have an opinion on that, Becky, but I'm not going <laughs> to. I do too. I'm with you. Yes. Well, is there anything we didn't cover? I think that about wraps it up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. This has been The Monstrous Regiment. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Regiment. We hope this podcast inspires and equips you to go and exercise dominion for Christ's kingdom. Terrible as an army with banners. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.